You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. Okay, everybody, let's come on in and grab a seat. Okay, everyone, let's grab a seat. We're going to get started. Shh. James was a male cheerleader in high school, so he, uh... okay, let's go ahead and let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this time that we could be together and um, get into your word. Thank you for just your kindness to us. Um, it's amazing, God. Uh, we look at the Old Testament and we say, how could people have been so fickle and forget you so quickly? And yet, um, Father, we do the same thing. Uh, we look at the Pharisees and we say, how can they be so stubborn or not see you or um, be self-righteous? And yet we do the same thing. And thank you for the way the Bible just reminds us at the end of the day, uh, we're way more sinful than we ever think we are. And we're way more loved uh, than we can ever comprehend. And so help us really embrace the gospel. Bless our time here with the brothers. Help the time in the word. Please uh, strengthen uh, each one of us and uh, help us have an honor for your word that is supernatural. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, great to be together with everybody. Um, my name is Marco Pelizzeri. I um, I'm in the family ministry uh, in in Orange County, South Orange County. Been there about uh, almost two years now, and um, it's just great to be together with the brothers. Um, it's been a long time since I've done this, so uh, I think it's uh, exciting for me, and hopefully, it'll be valuable for you. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, over to John chapter 21. We're going to do a study out of John 21. We're going to look at the whole chapter. We're going to read a lot of Scripture. I hope that's okay for you. Uh, I know uh, my kids uh, in the era era of the smartphone, nobody has the attention span longer than 5G, 4G, LTE. Do you know what I'm saying? For anything. And yet I think it's important for us to really quiet ourselves and be able to listen to the Word and hear God's Word. Uh, sometimes when I've prepared for lessons over the years, I've... Um, read the same passage that I'm going to preach on and that I've studied on, I'll listen to it or read it over and over and over and over and over again, 15, 20, 30 times beforehand, just to kind of grasp what's God saying here. And so uh, as we uh, get into this time, I, I really think it's going to be valuable uh, for you. And I think uh, some of the things I share hopefully will resonate with who you are and where you're at uh, today. So today we're going to talk about engaging the enemy. And, uh, you know, you think about it, uh, the Bible is full of people who struggled to engage the enemy. it's In fact, it's the whole story of the Bible when you really think about it. Adam struggled to engage the enemy, right? He struggled with the battle there with Satan and the battle with his wife and the battle with God and the battle with doing what's right even though he had everything uh, in his hand and everything satisfactory and fulfillment. He still struggled engaging uh, the enemy and the enemy... Uh, you know, one in a sense in that battle. Moses struggled with engaging the enemy. Remember, he was grew up in the palace, kind of got the calling of God, stood up for his people. Remember that? Killed the Egyptian, thought it was going to create this revolution. Everybody's going to follow him. And he yelled charge and he looked behind him and somebody said, hey, you're the guy that killed somebody. And he took off for 40 years and then God found him in the desert after he was done, you know, passed over, done. And God had to convince him through the burning bush and through many things to say, hey, Moses, I'm not done. In fact, that 40 years that you were forgotten about or felt forgotten about or gave up your dream, I was working on you for this next 40. 
And this is going to be a lot more challenging. And Moses couldn't have done what he did and be who he was and engage the enemy in that second half, Pharaoh and others, if he hadn't gone through that desert time. And I know many of us in this room have been Christians. Uh, I, this September will be 31 years for me. Uh, today I went running and I ran by my first apartment when I got married at 23 and uh, just thought, wow, God, almost 30 years later, 28 this month since I've been married, uh, how much life has happened and how many battles and how many things that I just didn't think were going to happen happened and things that I didn't thought would happen didn't happen. And can anybody relate with that? Yes. Just that, and I kind of go, well, I wonder what the next 30 is going to hold. Um, I know a lot of things are going to happen that I didn't think were going to happen. And a lot of things that I wanted to happen aren't going to happen. It's just meaning that's life. Uh, when you think about Jacob and his battle, uh, he battled the enemy within and he battled the enemy around and his deceit and his kids and his life. And yet what an amazing story at the end. You think about Aaron and his battle to engage the enemy where he wouldn't stand up for the righteousness of his sons. And remember what happened to Aaron's sons? They were offering unauthorized offerings before the temple and God did what? Took them both out. Uh, Eli and his sons, he, he challenged them, but he didn't make sure they were removed from office and he didn't want that battle. And what happened? Uh, God wasn't too happy about that and they got taken out in battle and Eli broke his neck and ended his life a very heavy man and very disgraced and very just struggling. Samuel and his sons. Do you see a pattern? Saul and his battles with the Philistines, with his insecurity. He battled leading the people. He had like one good thing and then the next 40 years he was, you know, it was pretty rough when you look at what his battles were engaging the enemy, his insecurity. And, and I, I'm sharing these stories because it really it makes up the composite of all of us and all of our battles. I'll keep going. Uh, Aaron, I mean, um, Saul with the Philistines in that whole Goliath battle. David with his battle to engage the enemy with lust, with pride, with insecurity, with self, uh, just self-contentment, resting on the battles of the previous past. Uh you think about all the kings and all their battles. Very few good kings out of the 40 kings. Very few. And, um, and then you think about that passage in the Bible. Even the kings that dealt with things, engaging the enemy, it says, but they left the high places. Some of them didn't go the whole distance and say, we're going to really deal with things. And then you go to the New Testament, the apostles and their battles. Judas and his battle. One of the scariest scriptures to me in the Bible is where the Bible says that Satan, uh, you know, Judas... It says that Judas went off into the night and it said that Satan entered Judas. You know that passage? And it was night. And there was just that, God gives us that window in like a one sentence going, Judas kind of could have went right, could have went left. What did he do? He went left or he went right, whatever you want to say. He went the wrong way. And uh, it scares me about myself. The parents of the blind man, they get healed and they didn't want to engage the Pharisees. They didn't want to engage the enemy. They didn't want to be put out of the temple. Again, we can look at that and go, yeah, why would they do that? We'd feel the same thing. That Your whole life revolved around the temple. Your job, your small town, your whole livelihood, your whole reputation. And they said, I don't know how he was healed. I just know he was blind. I'll vouch for that. He's of age. Ask him. Versus standing up right then and there for Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira in their battle to engage the enemy. Paul with Peter in his battle uh, where he confronted him about uh, the Gentiles and how he was treating the Gentiles. It is in my nature and it is in your nature to avoid conflict of any kind. 
And it gets harder as you get older. Because when you're younger, you're like, I can do anything and I'll never die. At least not for like 300 years. Way. But then as you get older and you get bumped and bruised and scarred and things step on a few nails and things happen and you're like, "Eh, I'm going to play a little safer now. You know, but when you think about it, it's in our nature to avoid conflict of any kind and how quickly we can hold back or shrink back. And that is really the crux of this lesson today is, you know, Christianity, it's a, it's a, it's a religion that's moving forward. And I speak to you at a place of weakness. I've got my own battles right now with engaging the enemy. I, got, I have my own struggles with going, you know, I, don't, I, I am so tired from these battles. I don't want any more battles. You know, and I'm not going to make it worse, but I don't know if I'm going to make it better. I'm tired. I, I'm, you know, that kind of a thing. And so I, I'm, I'm with you right here. And that's why the Bible says in Hebrews that we're not those who shrink back. Don't hold back. Remember, 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 don't forget. Remember what you used to do in the earlier days because these Christians have been giving up. And I think it's very easy for all of us, even though that's not what we signed up for, we didn't get baptized with that same heart, but to go, I go to church Sundays, I go to church Wednesdays, sometimes I do things on Fridays, I may get into discipling time, I may get into date, I may get in some hang time, I have my quiet times usually, and that's what I do as a Christian, and I do it every week. And those are all good things, please. But we can do all those things and never engage in the, in the battle and engage with the enemy. So who is this enemy? Satan, the devil. Well, what is His name means accuser. And as I've thought about that as I've gotten older, it's so hard to grasp the gospel. What is the gospel message? That we are way more sinful than we could ever write on a sin list. That if, we, if our idea of our sinfulness is, back in the day, I used to, or we're sharing with somebody and we say, I used to, but now, you know, I'm, I mean, I mess up from time to time. No, we're still just as sinful today as the day we were baptized. It's just more inward and more hidden and more motive. And You know what I'm saying? But we're way more sinful than we can even comprehend on any given day. And in spite of that, rather than being crushed by that and discouraged, we're way more loved by God than we can ever fathom, that anybody could ever paint a picture for us or try to encourage us. We're way more loved. And that's very hard for us to accept. And so how does Satan fight us? How does he attack us? The Bible says he accuses us of not being enough. I still struggle with that. He lies constantly. The Bible calls him the father of lies. It says he prowls around, which means he's secret, subtle, uh, kind of on the down low, kind of on a kind of a side hit, like doesn't want you to see him and what he's doing. He camouflages. The Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. And the Bible says he tempts, where God tests all through the Bible. God tests our armor to find soft spots in order to make us stronger, in order to expose us to go, hey, you're not as strong there as you thought you were. Not so we'll just go, yeah, I know, it's just another thing to feel bad about. That's not why God does it. God does it so he goes, hey, we've got a soft spot right here. You're not armed. What are you going to do about it? I want to help you, but you've got to do something about it. Otherwise, Satan's going to burrow his way in, and you're going to get it between the armor. Right? Where, where the word, where Satan, he doesn't, he tempts us, where he tries to find the soft spot so he can find his way in and exploit. And I don't know about you, but he tempts me with self-importance. 
He tempts me with wanting to protect myself. He tempts me with just creating doubt about myself. He twists the word in our lives. He attacks me and you when we're tired, weak, lonely, full of self-pity, discouraged. He's the master in subtlety and he manipulates and he plays with our emotions. You can't engage God without engaging the enemy. And yet it's a struggle. Ephesians 6.10 says, our struggle is not what? And I know we know that, and I know that, but think about that. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against your boss that's really hard to be around or to like. It's not with your roommate. It's not with your church leader who you're not connected to, and every time he says something that has nothing to do with you, but it triggers something from your life, you're like, shh, there he goes again. And because he's the leader... Because he's the leader, you attach your issues onto him. We all do it. Come on. But it's not about that. It's our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood. And in John 21, if you'll turn there, before we read that that chapter, I, I want you to think about this verse at the end of 1 Corinthians 16 on the screen. It says, be on your guard. And I'm really hoping that today we can take this away. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. You could take any one of those commands and go, yes, for me, yes. Be on your guard. You ever been around somebody that's really guarded? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about be on your guard in the sense of at any given point we can be go down the rabbit hole of materialism or of greed. I've felt that. I mean, I've struggled giving my contribution. I'm in sales now and... Uh, Sales, your income goes like this. Now, you'd prefer it to go like this, but it goes like this. So, you know, you give your, I give my tithe on my salary, and then sometimes my commission checks at the end of the month are quite small, and other times they're quite large, and then it just balances itself out for the year. But when they're larger, I'm like, shoot, that's a lot of money. State of California takes almost 10%, 11%. Then the federal government surely does a number because in sales they take like you know close to thirty five percent, thirty seven. Thank you because it's called it's called bonus pay. It's, it's called bonus pay. You get it back. It, you get it back at the end of the year, meaning it's not higher overall. It's just higher at that time because that's how the system works. So now you're like that's forty. Then you give the tithe. We're at now fifty seven percent. What's left for me? Yeah, and that's, it's evil, and I'm open about it, but it's a struggle. And the, the Bible says, be on your guard. What do you have to be on your guard about today? He says, stand firm in the faith. I haven't been the most firm in my faith over the last four years. I've been fighting lots of uh, victories, but boy, it's been hard. I've never thought about quitting but boy, I've thought about, I don't really like this. This is not, I mean, I've told myself many times, I believe Christianity is not transactional. God, you do this for me, and I did that for you, equals I should get that from you. Right? We all know Disney movies end happy, but they're not real. Right? Ariel was a fic- fiction, fictitious, right? Just in case some of you are... Okay, 
Aladdin didn't live. Not everybody gets that, the gal at the end. Do, do you know what I'm saying? And so I've struggled with that at times going, yeah, I've, I know and I've taught and I've preached and I believe Christianity is not transactional. If I do this, well, God did this for me on the cross, so I respond this way, then I get that. Or at least maybe not that, but that. Okay, maybe not that, but at least that. And that's not Christianity. Be men of courage. You know, somebody told me once that this passage, when it was originally translated, it didn't have on there, be men of courage. It just said, take, be, have courage. But we put it, you know, the translators put that in there, be men. Because it assumed that men had courage. And men were courage. That's how God made men. doesn't mean women aren't courageous. But God made men to go, I'm afraid, but I'm stepping out. I'm going to be a man of courage. Be strong. Well, I think the Bible's telling us that because often we're weak. Otherwise, it wouldn't say be strong. And do everything in love. So I want to keep that in our, in our viewpoint. You know, I used to wrestle uh, in junior high and high school. That's about all you're going to get that. Yeah, come on, come on. I was terrible. <laughs> I got pinned like seven of my nine matches. Uh, wrestling's very technical, and I'm not a very technical guy. And, um, you know, you can, you can be actually pretty skinny and small and not even that strong in a bulked-up sense and be a really good wrestler if you're fast and you're technical. You analyze the pressure points and the, the leverage points and where to flip people and where to put your weight. And you can be really... Now, you still have to have endurance because after six minutes, you feel, feel like you gave birth to triplets. You know, I, I've never given birth. I'm just saying if, if I was to give birth to triplets, that's what it feels like. It's end of six minutes. You're like, are you sure that wasn't six hours? I mean, you're wiped out. But it's all about leverage and, technica, and technical and knowing how to. And so when you get out and you look, first of all, you look like an alien with the, 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 the helmet on and in a little suit that you'd never wear anywhere else ever, um, ever. Ever. Not even on Halloween. You wouldn't wear that. You could be removed from the street. Um, but you know, you start out in the little circle. You gotta stay in the little circle. Just like the sumo wrestlers. And then you go, you kinda start going. And I remember as a, as a kid, you know, there was one guy, he'd do this thing, like to try to psych the other guy out with his hand. It had nothing to do with wrestling or jumping. It was just a, kinda. But at the end of the day, somebody's gotta go in first. And do the single leg takedown or the double leg takedown or some sort of takedown or some engaging. And that's what God is calling us. These are heavyweights. This guy's like uh, 200 and something pounds. He's just jumping in there. And that's hard. I don't want to be thrown. I don't want to be pinned again. But that's what God's calling us to do in engaging the enemy. John 21, you know, this is a story here. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. So this was his third appearance. Jesus had died, was buried, resurrected. And if you remember reading the Gospels, how many times they didn't understand about this death, burial, resurrection, death, burial, resurrection. And they didn't like the sound of it. Because how could someone with that much miraculous power and that much strength and that much resolve be killed? Like it just, yeah, okay, it's somewhere in the Old Testament. Yeah, 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 that's metaphorical. How would he be stopped? Nobody could stop him. And if they're going to stop him, what's going to happen to us? And so they struggled with that. So much so that they were despondent after he was killed. And I love that humanity of the Bible. Like that's exactly how we would be. 
Yeah, I know all the things he said, but he's gone. We're in hiding. This sucks. And now what? The dream is over. And you know, our church isn't what it was 30 years ago. I don't know how that makes you feel. It's just a fact. I'm not who I was 30 years ago. I don't look the same. I don't have the same energy. Um, I'm, you know, I, physically my body's changing. My eyesight's going. My wife says you should get glasses. I said, no, that's for old people. Um, <laughs> just sorry, all you glass wearers. She goes, all right, just ruin your eyes. I said, I'll get them when I'm old. All you guys that have been wearing glasses all your life, just have some, have some empathy. <laughs> have some compassion. I'm not talking those glasses. I'm talking the old people glasses where you're like, I can't see this anymore. And if it's dark, I really can't see anything. But, you know, Jesus, he has to touch us and tell us over and over again things. And I think this is amazing that this story is his third time resurrecting and they're still doubting. And when I made that comment about the church isn't where we were at 30 years ago, I don't expect it to be where we were at 30 years ago. There's a lot of things about the church that weren't good 30 years ago and there's that we've lost, and that's great. And there's a lot of good things about the church 30 years ago that we've just kind of lost that are not great because we've gotten more content and more safe and more faithless and more discouraged and more whatever. So I'm just saying, just like in my marriage, my marriage is very different today at 28 years than it was when I was 23. But that's okay. It should be different. It'd be weird if it was the same. It's changed and it's changing. And my love for my wife is way deeper today and more of a friendship today, even though we've had a lot of hardship because that's led us through that. And Jesus, he appears to his disciples for the third time by the Sea of Galilee in verse 1. And he says, Simon Peter Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. So seven of the other, seven of the apostles were there. I don't know where the other five were. Maybe these guys were fishing and the other five went back to their jobs or went home, called it off. I don't know. It says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, remember, third appearance of the resurrection. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said, It is Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they, 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There was fish on it and some bread. Jesus was engaging, or some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know, we're going to look at this first part and then we'll look at the second part. What an amazing story. We know this story. 
but it's a true story. So even though these guys had seen Jesus resurrect, they stopped believing. They shrunk back. They weren't engaging. They didn't know what to do. They held back. They went back to what they know. And the first point is, if we're going to make it to the end, if we're going to fulfill what God wants for our lives, if we're going to stay joyful, I've struggled a lot with joy in my Christianity. Anybody relate? Okay, you 11 people. I'll talk to you. The rest of you are liars. If we're going to really find joy in the struggles, because whether you're a Christian or not, you're going to have struggles. Financial struggles, loneliness struggles, health struggles, physical and mental health, emotional health. You're going to have financial struggles. You're going to have parents die. Right? Siblings die. Friends die. Family die. You're going to get passed over for promotion. I mean, just things happen. And so to have that joy, if we're going to engage, number one, we've got to engage the enemy within. We've got to engage the enemy within. You know, look back at this story. It says, you know, that it went, he says, the, the apostles, Peter says, let's, I'm going out to fish. They said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You know, when we hold back in our Christianity, we become ineffective. Yeah. And I, I think it's just ironic how many times the Bible not only does the third appearance, you know, the three resurrections, but it also does like the same stories, right? The, the multiplication stories, God allows those same stories to happen multiple times to make a point. And this story, this happened another time. Remember Peter? Throw your net to the other side of the boat. Remember Peter caught all those fish? Lord, because you say so, what? I'll do it. I've been fishing all night, have not caught a thing. And I think sometimes in my Christianity, in your Christianity, we can feel like we're doing, God, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, but I feel ineffective. That doesn't mean God doesn't want us to still engage the enemy. I love how when Peter engaged and obeyed through the net on the other side, his vision changed. He goes, wait a second, it's the Lord. And I think so often God's working in my life and in your life, and we don't see it's the Lord. And I'll share a little bit more about our, my own personal struggles and things in our family and things where I just got so mad and so discouraged and so, now what? Now this? And I remember my wife saying to me, well, Marco, maybe this is exactly what needs to take place for God to work in her life, meaning it is the Lord. Not that the Lord made them do anything or not do anything, but meaning the Lord's going to work through this just like, think about what drew you to become a Christian. You didn't become a Christian because you were all American, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, making $500,000 a year and all the ladies just surrounding you like bees at all times. You became a Christian because you realized, hmm, this is not working. Something's missing. I'm doing things my own way, not denying myself. I'm seeking myself and I'm unhappy. I'm discontent. It's not working. That's what drew us to become a Christian. And I think that's the same thing that keeps drawing us back. We've got to engage the enemy within. What does that mean? Well, discouragement. These guys were discouraged. I'm just going to go through some of the enemies that we deal with within, that Satan uses in us. 
discouragement. These guys were discouraged. Why'd they go back to fishing? Because their master was killed. They got chased out. Their lives were in danger. The dream was over. Wasn't what, remember I said the church isn't what it was 30 years ago? Their church, their thing wasn't what it was like three years earlier. They went from being, everywhere they walked, they're like, move aside, move aside. The Messiah's in town. Oh yeah. To now, they're like, now what? How's this, this is everything we sacrificed for. What does it really come to? You know, discouragement is such an intense enemy that Satan uses. You know, the last four years have been some of the most challenging years of my faith. I've never thought about quitting my faith, but I've sure struggled. Not with quitting, just struggled with the pain. My oldest daughter, um, when she moved out of the house to go to Arizona, we knew she wasn't ready for college, so we encouraged her, go do AmeriCorps. She got in this amazing AmeriCorps program, went away from home, and within nine weeks we got a call from the church leader. Hey, you probably need to come get her. She's not safe. And that began a battle of addiction for two and a half years. The most intense emotional pain I have ever experienced. That doesn't mean I will not experience more emotional pain than that in the future. I'm just saying up to this point, that was some of the most intense emotional pain I've ever experienced. To the point where you can't sleep. You're afraid you're going to get the phone call that she's dead. You can't really do anything about it. You look at the crazy people that she's hanging out with. And you go, what did I do? First stage, what did I do wrong? Well, I did a lot of things wrong, but not that affected this. I remember in Thanksgiving of 2014, I was sitting in a rehab at the parent weekend. And I love Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday of the year. It's only four days. You don't have to spend a lot of money, especially if you go to somebody else's house <laughs> versus, versus having it at your house, you're going to spend a lot of money, but not Christmas money. Uh, your house will be, you know, you can shell out 150, 200 bucks if you're not careful. But at somebody else's house, I'm just kidding. But anyway, <laughs> and I'm sitting in this parent workshop so angry. So angry. Now, that's not the right response, but that's where I was at. And I had a conversation in my head. So what did you do over Thanksgiving? Oh, I went to grandmother's house. Or, you know, I went to so-and-so's house, and we, oh, it was amazing. And then we went to a movie. And, and what did you do, Marco, over Thanksgiving? Oh, I was sitting in rehab in a parent workshop. And that became just an intense journey. Three rehabs later, two and a half years later, hard boundaries, interventions, struggles. She's doing great today. She's getting married next month. Um, But that's not, I mean, I literally felt like my guts were being ripped out affected my health, my sleep, my marriage, my joy, my, like just every, like just, it's the most helpless feeling. You can see why people get divorced when they go through things like this, because there's nothing, you have nothing left for each other. You're so beat up. You're so, your whole life is consumed with that. And it was so discouraging. You know, restarting my career after almost 25 years, like on a dime. Talk about scary when you got a mortgage and you got a family and you got, need health care and you need this. You know, a lot of you guys go, if I was married, all my problems would be. <laughs> okay, how many people have thought that? If I was just married and I had some little ones, let me tell you, marriage is amazing, kids are amazing, but it is the most humbling, hardest, 
difficult thing I've ever done. It's brought the absolute best out of me and the absolute worst out of me. Meaning that was already there, not the, just the best, but the worst. It just needed some pressure to bring it to the surface. So I, my whole point is being married is amazing. That's not, but just thinking that if I was in a different station, all my, everything would be rainbows and butterflies and maybe a unicorn from time to time. That's not, <laughs> there's a reason why Paul said, hey, it's good to be single because you're just going to be less divided. You're going to have less. Challenges on both sides. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying. But, you know, restarting my career and my life, talk about disoriented. I felt like I couldn't get, like, solid footing for a long time on the inside. God was very kind. I got a, gave me a job 10 weeks out of the full-time ministry. Very grateful for that. But, boy, was it disorienting. Boy, did it feel different. Boy, was it hard. Um, there were many nights between that and the pressure on my marriage and the struggles with all three of the kids that I would literally could not sleep. I mean, not one night, not two nights, not 20 nights, but many nights where all I could do was take a piece of, take a scripture like a piece of butterscotch. I don't like butterscotch candy, but the analogy works. Take a scripture like a butterscotch candy and just hold it in my mouth and just say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Just to go to sleep. This God is my God. He will be my guide even to the end. This God is my God. He will be my guide even to the end. And I mean, just, I just take like a half a scripture, a quarter of a scripture, a third of a scripture, a full verse, and just, just to kind of, discouragement's powerful. Satan really plays on it. Um, and God's been so faithful through it all. So many needs met. Fear is another one. That takes us out. It's an enemy within us that's already there that Satan prays about. Prays on, excuse me, that we pray about, but that he prays on is fear. Um, you know, I have, I'm in a really, I have a really good job, but it's a really hard job, and it, it, uh, it takes everything out of me. And sometimes it stresses me out, like big time. But I've told my wife, I said, you know, I think some of it, like, this is, I don't, I can't prove it, but I said, I think 30% of it's in my head. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's the stress and then how you feel about how you, how you catastrophize the stress. Oh my gosh, I'm going to, oh man, I'm working with these 25 year olds that are like a hundred times smarter than me, faster and quicker and can wrap Excel around me three times over. And you know, like, and just like test you, like you feel afraid. How am I going to keep up? And so I think a lot of it's in my head. Not, it's real, but I think I exaggerate it. Fear is, it's so crippling. Disillusionment is an enemy that Satan plays on in us that you see in these apostles. Why did they shrink back? Why were they fishing in the night? Why did they give up? Why could they not recognize the Lord? They're disillusioned, discouraged. I've had this feeling and thoughts even recently. Hey, it's not supposed to be this way. You ever felt that? Comfort, going back to just what we know. It, is, it can be so crippling as well. You know, I think of um, this whole idea of settling. I think that's some of the biggest battle in my heart and in your heart here in the church. If you've been a Christian for more than a decade, just to settle and go, you know what, I got a good, I've got a few good friends that I like, the people I don't like so much. You know, I, I'll give the smile and the pat on the back, but 
I got it all figured out. It's all dialed in. I got my Christian friends. I got my quiet time spot. I got my this. And that's all good. But we, that becomes what we rely on. And we just get comfortable. We get, we settle. You know, I found this story about this guy, Larry Walters. And Larry Walters back in 1982 in Long Beach, he had 13 years old. He wanted to be a pilot, but his eyes were too bad. So he, him and his girlfriend got this great idea and they went and they secretly bought 42 military-grade weather balloons. And they hooked it to a lawn chair in Long Beach. And if you, and if, if you look, these are all water bottles. He's got his thermos right here. He has a CB radio. He's got some sandwiches and beer right there. Now, this is what cracks me up the most. He's got his aviators on. And as I was researching for this, they have the audio um, recording. I don't know how they have it back in 82. And uh, his girlfriend, you know, they, him and his friends helped him. And they, you know, and then went and they got all this helium. And they did it all like discreetly. Like he forged some certificate of why they could buy the weather balloons at the, at the military store and why they could buy the, all this helium at the Party City kind of place. And it's just like a regular launcher. And that's how he got the name, Launcher Larry. And, uh, and he has a parachute on his back. And he's got a, a gun, like a little uh, pellet gun, to shoot the balloons when he wants to come back down. And so right when he starts, he's hooked up to his van, I mean his Jeep in the driveway. And his friends clip the thing, and he starts going up, and he drops his glasses, and he has really bad eyesight. And his girlfriend's like, you dropped your glasses! How are you going to see? He's like, I got another pair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the whole point was, uh, he got in trouble, he got up to 16,000 feet. He he drifted into the Long Beach Airport airspace where planes saw him. And um, he, he, got, he got a little nervous. I mean, 16,000 feet in a lawn chair. Uh, it's not like high tech, guys. That's not like... It's not like Red Bull sponsoring him, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> With his prototype super chair like that guy that jumped the highest height ever. You know, all of his... Yeah, this is like... This is homemade right here. <laughs> um, and then he got... He realized this is not good and he, he had it on his CB. He's like, uh, man in the airspace, I see some planes. I probably shouldn't be here. I'm coming down. So he starts shooting the... The pellet, the, you know, shooting his balloons, you know? And, uh, and then he got caught in the power lines and he thought he was going to get fried. Um, let's just say he got fined and he got arrested. And when they question him, Larry, what were you doing? And by the way, a lot of people have done it since then. Go figure. Um, a lot, maybe like a dozen or a half dozen. But they said, he said this, a man just can't sit around. And I, I think that's the... Some of you guys are like, that's deep. That's super deep. Is that in the Greek? <laughs> but that's true. Brothers, brothers, we can't just sit around. We can't just sit around. We can't just settle. We can't just go with the crowd. Satan wants me to fit in and you to fit in and just go with the crowd. That's what you see in that passage. A couple of the apostles went to fishing. We'll go with you. We got nothing else to do. We, we have to live by faith, literally, not by sight. You know, um, in October, it'll be two years, but my mom died. And um, my mom was one of my, like, lifelong best friends. 
There she is. She was a disciple for almost 30 years. She would probably be mad if I had you. That's my childhood home. She lived in that house for 52 years there in the suburbs of Chicago on an acre. Uh, she was losing her eyesight, losing her mind, you know, early dementia. An amazing disciple for 28 years. Loved the church. Uh, the, the, the minister, she had the same minister for 24 years, go figure, in the same region the whole time. And uh, when he went to visit, her name was Ingrid, when he went to visit her the second last time, I thanked him in the driveway with his wife that night for coming by again. And he said, Ingrid is the most unentitled person I've ever met. And I just felt so proud and then so ashamed. He couldn't say that about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, <laughs> just being real, okay? But I, I love this picture. This was about five weeks before she died. Uh, if you see, that's that we had that solar eclipse back in August. Uh, so it's got the date, like right here is the date of the solar eclipse on her little high-tech glasses. But uh, she wanted to, she had ovarian cancer. The doctor said, you got 10 weeks. She died in nine. But my mom lived by faith, not by sight. When I was going through all that stuff with my daughters and the addiction and my, my daughter, and I was so discouraged. And I talked to her every night when I'd walk the dog, and I'd just lament. And she'd say, oh, honey, because my mom was a Holocaust survivor. Her dad was in Auschwitz. She came to the United States at 14. She was hidden in a convent. She lost her dad in a concentration camp. I mean, she just had a lot of loss. I was, she had eight children. Uh, my little brother died at 14 in a motorcycle accident, so she lost her baby uh, at, at 14. I left for college like eight weeks after that happened, and they went from having all those kids in a 1,300-square-foot house, 10 of us. I grew up on the porch, by the way. <laughs> Go figure, right? Um, to just being, you know, not having anybody and no kids in the home. Boom, like that. And my dad was not very nurturing or connective or communicative or super loving or vulnerable or he was born in the 1920s in the Great Depression. My joke was it ended and nobody ever told him it was over. Um, but I have this picture on here for a couple reasons. I love my mom looking up at the eclipse, but I envision her that passage, set your heart and your mind on things above. Live by faith, not by sight. Um, as she was comforting me, she said, oh, honey, I wish there was something more I could do. She says, raising your three is harder than, she wasn't being funny, than raising my eight. Um, she goes, but I do know God's good. I can tell you that much. God is really good. Like, he really is. And I need to do know that God knows what he's doing. And I do know that God has reasons for what he's doing. I can't say what they are, but we can, we can trust that. We can lean into that. And I want you to take comfort in that. And at the time, it's like, thanks, Mom, but that really doesn't help. I mean, it's, it's borderline. It's not a bumper sticker or a bookmark, but it's borderline right there. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, that wasn't her heart, but that's how, in my discouragement, how it felt. Like, that doesn't really help. It's helping because it's true, but I don't feel it. But later on, I felt it. And um, we had some of the most amazing prayers before she died. I remember just my forehead to her forehead. And I can't remember all the words, but I remember the feeling. And uh, I just thank God that for 30 years I got to have almost 32 years of best friendship as an adult. You know, I moved out at 17 with my mom. And she was my sister in Christ. And she told me when she found out she was dying, I'm like, Mom, how are you? She goes, I'm fine. She goes, I'm ready to go. She wasn't the old religious lady. Like, her faith was her faith. It was, it was her, that was her sight, was her faith. She goes, if he says it's time to go, I'm going. It's ready to go. And she said, and I don't know why people hold on to the world this much. And again, it wasn't that religious old lady, sweet, let me give you a piece of candy with that scripture. She meant it. 
And she goes, I don't know why people hold on to the, to the world this much. What are they holding on to? And boy, that impacted me. My oldest sister, who all my, all my six other siblings just adored my mom. She said, her name's Fran. She goes, watching Marco, watching mom die changed me. Because she was so joyful, so giving. Every time somebody would come over, she was in a lot of pain. She'd sit up and she'd, you know, being giving versus being kind of, mm-hmm, hey, what's up, mm-hmm. You know, she's so giving, so like wanted to give to you. Smile, sparkle, give, push, and then be exhausted. Just wanted to. She goes, not, no complaining, no regrets, no anger, no frustration, no holding on, no fear. Just ready. I wish I could say I was like that. And I, my wife reminds me, Marco, she had 50 years, 60 years of suffering. Not all those years, but many to practice for that moment. We've got to live by faith, not by sight. We've got to engage that enemy within, the enemy of failure, self-pity, insecurity. This is one I can struggle with. Comparing myself to others. We've got to go past that. I remember being at a baptism in Orange County about 10 months ago, and I was just, I didn't want to go. But my daughter wanted to go, so that's I got to go because I want her to be inspired. And then I was just sour. I felt so guilty. I was just sour being there because I thought, why? Why are they enjoying that and I'm not? What did I do wrong? What, what? It's not fair. And then I just felt sour that I was sour. You ever had that where you judge your feelings? <laughs> you're like, man, you're just a sour old sour puss. Look at how far you've fallen, sour man. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like just, but that's where I was at. Let's just finish with this latter part of the passage here. In John 21, 15, when they had finished eating, and you've got to love Jesus' just tenderness, third time coming back. The Son of God made them breakfast, cooked the fish, made the fire. You say, well, he just went, and it all formed like in the movies. Probably not, but maybe, but probably not. But, you know, <laughs> serving. Made them fish, made them, they were tired from all night, made them breakfast, had a fire for them to dry off and warm up, and it served them, made them bread. How cool that is. Like meeting us where we're at. When they had finished eating, you you got to wonder too, all the apostles going, what the heck is going on here? Breakfast with Jesus? This is kind of crazy. And what's next? What's Jesus said to Simon Peter, and I know you all know this passage, but Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And it's interesting. Remember I said about the multiple time thing? Here he says it three times third time with the resurrection. Multiple times he's done the same thing because he knows we we need those multiple touches. And he goes through this and he says, do you love me more than these? What more penetrating, difficult, tender, nerve-hitting question could he ask? Do you love me more than blank? And what would you fill in for that? Financial security? A spouse? Relief? An easier situation? I don't know. I, I, I could pick any of those outside of a spouse at any time. I was, last night was struggling going, Lord, why am I dealing with so many of these difficult things? Like, I know I shouldn't be angry, but it's just, it's a lot. Why, why are you allowing these challenges? Now, the Bible says it's okay in the Psalms to ask why, just don't end there, right? Yeah. Don't say why are the old times, weren't, don't say why weren't the old times better than these. It's not good to ask such a question. 
And so he goes through three times. Yes, I, you know that I love you. Well, then do something. Engage. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Think about the look on Peter's face. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter now was hurt. I think he was maybe even hurt the first time. But by the third time, he was really hurt. He says, yes, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. He said, feed my sheep. I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. Remember that as a kid, you could just run all over you want, wherever you wanted. You didn't worry about grocery bills, electric bills. My dad used to say, turn off the lights, close the door, we're not heating the outside. And my dad would walk around with a sweatshirt on all the time because he'd keep the temperature down so low to save money. And I'd go, dad, it's freezing. He'd go, put a jacket on. <laughs> so we as kids, we'd go to the thermostat. Then he'd come over. I think this was low. Who did it? And, you know, eight kids were like, I don't know. I think it just went up. The heat, so cold, so cold the thermostat just popped up. But do you remember as a kid that freedom you felt? And not everybody, but overall of, I don't have a worry in the world except can I get two popsicles instead of one? And can, will there be more? Can, you know, will I get three pieces of pizza? Because I did the math and whoever's done first is getting, like that was the worry. And as you get, as you get older, you get led to a lot of places you don't want to go and have to do a lot of things that you don't want to do. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. He says, bottom line, follow me. Engage. So we don't just need to engage the enemy within. We've got to engage the enemy in our time. And when I say our time, you and I are on this earth for a finite number of days. It's all through the Gospels. It's all through the Old Testament. It's all in the Scriptures. We've got a beginning date and an end date, period. So when I say engage the enemy in our time... God's allowed these struggles in my life for a reason. Some of them I figured out. I've been able to bless a lot of people through the suffering. Some I haven't figured out. Some I will figure out. Some I'll never figure out. But God is in control of my situation. And God is in control of your situation. Peter turned and said to the disciple whom Jesus loved, it was following him, Lord, what about him? And I think that's always what we can do as well. We've got to engage the enemy in our time. I just want to close with this story, a couple stories here, and then we're done. When I think about engaging the enemy in our time, selfishness. He said, if you really love me, take care of others. I don't know about you, but I can feel the battle sometimes of just taking care of myself, and I can be very small-hearted to others. I've struggled with all of my struggles. Maybe that's why they're called struggles. And, and my middle daughter got in some real trouble here, um, you know, almost a year ago. And wasn't with the law or anything, but I was so angry. I was so mad I couldn't talk to her for 24 hours. At her baptism, she said, Dad, I think you were mad longer. I said, okay, two days. She said, longer. Okay, maybe a few weeks. Well, I didn't, you know. But my wife was so spiritual. She said, Marco, rather than get furious, maybe God's allowing this to help her see her need for you. In fact, her response was, Gina, that's great. I've been praying you'll see your need for God. She's like, really, Mom? That's great? She goes, yeah, and now you're going to see your need for God. She wasn't sarcastic. She was serious and loving. And almost a year later, Gina just got baptized. She's here this week. She just got baptized. Last week uh, in the Salt River in Arizona. She's like, Mom and Dad, I'm ready. We drove out 
Friday night, last a week ago yesterday, got there around midnight. Sunday morning we were there at the Salt River, and she got baptized. Unbelievable. She had went off the reservation, really in bad spots, dark places, heartbreaking. Again, going, what did I do wrong? Now, again, I've done a lot wrong, but it's realizing that people are free moral agents. They make their own choices, and they don't always end in happy stories. And this may not end in I don't know where God's going to take it, but the whole point is the selfishness where he says, do you love me more than just your comfort, doing your own thing? Then take care of others. Sacrifice that enemy in our time. He says, when you get older, or if you're going to follow me, you're going to be led where you do not want to go. So that feeling of, I don't want to do this, isn't bad. But it's what we do with that feeling. And I've been led to a lot of places where I haven't wanted to go, and I haven't been very proud of how I felt about it. But I've stayed. I've stayed engaged. I've stayed in the game. And I've gone, okay, I, all I, I mean, I've been so desperate at times, I said, you know, the only thing I can do is pray. I mean, I was already praying. But I mean, like, pray more. Because I can't control anybody or anything. Self-deception. Well, what about him? That wasn't what Jesus was asking. These journeys that we're going through, we've got to follow Jesus. The bottom line, he says, follow me. Don't worry about the past and the future. Follow me. I'm just going to close with this story. This guy, Dr. Edward Wilson, was on. uh, The British and the um, Norwegians were rushing to the South Pole in the early 1900s, 1910 to 1913. Uh, the Norwegians got there first. The British uh, died on their third expedition trying to get there. And this doctor I came upon that was on that expedition called the Terra Nova Expedition, the British Antarctic Expedition of Robert Scott, he wrote this letter to his wife as they were freezing to death. And I just think about us ending our journey. And he says this. This is just the end of the... the um, he says to his wife, Honey, don't, don't be unhappy. We're playing a good part in a great scheme arranged by God himself, and all is well. We will meet after death, and death has no tears. Tears. All is for the best to those who love God, and we have both loved him with all of our lives. Life itself, it's a small thing to me now, but my love for you is forever and part of our love for God. All the things I hope to do with you after this expedition are as nothing now, for there are greater things in the world to come. All as well. He wrote this while he was freezing to death, going, that's it. There's no, no rescue, no, I'm done. When we think about our journey, and they put up a cross and a, uh, uh, out as a memorial for that team that died, and they put a quote on, on the bottom there on a plaque out of Ulysses, not Ulysses S. Grant, Ulysses the poet, that said to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. And that's what God's calling us to do to not give up. The singles ministry, it needs the male leadership more than ever before. People that are engaged. It needs, God's calling us to care. He's calling me to care. To be brave. To get healing so we can get back in the fight. To be pure and to be pure hearted. To be gentlemen. To be compassionate. To believe. To genuinely share our love. To genuinely share our faith. Just like Jesus engaged the enemy all the way to the end, and at the end he said, it is finished. Brothers, let's go after it. Let's engage the enemy, the enemy within and the enemy in our time. Amen. Amen.
You know, um, I just want to ask two brothers to share. I know we're like a minute over time, but I think we can squeeze in two people to share, two brothers to share 30-second responses. Uh, amazing job, Marco. Anyone want to respond real quick? Those two. Uh, Dave, and then uh, what's your name, bro? Okay, go for it. Amen. Great job, bro. Dave? Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for your lesson. Uh, it's really impacting. Uh, even I was thinking about my, my life, you know, how I used to be, and like, uh, sometimes I fall short in sin, and I start going through the cycle of guiltiness. But uh, I like your point, man, where you were saying, uh, don't worry about the past or the future, follow Jesus. And that's something that I have to remind myself every day, you know, going through dark times. And, uh, I think another point that I got from you, man, was like, you're going to be led where you don't want to go, and I feel like that's what's happening right now in my life, you know? You know, it's been getting pretty intense, but I realized i got to focus on the bigger picture. Amen. Well, guys, uh, we have a, a great opportunity to lead the ladies today, right, in the afternoon. Um, right now, what we're going to be doing is heading to the foyer area, and I'd like to ask those brothers uh, to help me. We need to figure out rides right now. We're going to go do the community service project. I know some of you, you have different plans, but we'd like to ask as many brothers as possible to participate in the community service project. We're going to pick up the kids, take them to our cars, and we need to arrange rides. We'd love to get a couple brothers, couple sisters per car, and we don't want the sisters leading the way. Amen? I hope that, can I get an amen there? Yeah. Amen. I don't want the sisters to be leading it, all right? They, that, they can do a great job, but let us engage in that and let's serve. Why don't we close out in a very brief prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, uh, we appreciate you using Marco uh, in such a noble way to inspire us as men to take the charge and lead the kingdom and move forward as we follow Christ. Uh, bless us, Father, to overcome our obstacles and face our fears and go through uh, challenges uh, just like Jesus would, that we could be worthy of the gospel and that we can conduct ourselves in such a way. Uh, thank you for him just calling us higher. I know it really, truly comes from you. And you've used this example, Father, not uh, just uh, just in, in you know to be in vain, but for us to be inspired and to be called higher to be more like Christ. Bless us right now as we lead the sisters in this community search project that we may bless this area of San Diego as you use us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you. You've just listened to the Elevate Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.